if our technology actually scales up and we build fermenters the size of office buildings, we could have a river of our mycoprotein flowing through the food industry, reducing suffering, reducing emissions, and hopefully changing the way that the planet looks from space. Right now, animal agriculture is the leading driver of deforestation. If we could reduce the number of animals who are being raised for food by billions, we could reforest a large portion of the planet because we would not need so much space for grazing and for crop growing. And so if we are successful, and we're not the only company in the space, obviously there are others too, but if we as a movement, as a sector, are, are successful, the earth will look greener from space. Hi friends, hope you're good out there, wherever you are. I am really excited about this episode. Today we hear from Paul Shapiro, author of the bestseller Clean Meat and the co-founder and CEO of The Better Meat Co. In my view, a, a true disruptor and a rock star actively shaping the future of food. One of the biggest challenges humanity is facing right now is how to produce enough protein to feed 10 or 11 billion people by 2050 in a sustainable manner. The environmental science we have makes it extremely clear that it's simply not doable with our current food system and reliance on animal agriculture. You probably already know the fact that turning calories from plants into animal-based meat is incredibly inefficient. It emits lots of greenhouse gas emissions and requires enormous amounts of land which means mass deforestation and removal of natural carbon sinks that would otherwise help cooling the planet. Thankfully, as politicians seem to fall short in how to address these challenges from a top-down perspective, there are people like Paul devoting his life to create disruptive solutions supported by science that could help us to navigate out of these challenges. I was super thankful and also very surprised when Paul accepted my invitation to join the podcast. He's a wonderful human being fighting for a better world for all of us. And I promise it's a really interesting discussion. So just sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. You, uh, you should know I've really been looking forward to this. Um, hey, thanks, Jacob. Me as well. I'm really looking forward to it too. Just uh, just a few weeks ago, my my wife listened to you actually on on, on Simon Hill's uh, podcast, and uh, she was just over the moon of how interesting an episode that was. And uh, cool. then just a few days later, I got an email from you saying that you accepted my invitation to join this podcast. And so I just immediately ran out to my wife and told her, Paul Shapiro is going to be on the show. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm just thankful, man. Well, that's very nice of you. And uh, tell your wife, I'm really glad that she enjoyed that episode of Plant Proof. I'm a listener of Simon's show, and it was a real honor to be on with him. Mm, cool. And yeah, no, no, no doubt that Replanet is going to get as big as Plant Proof. Just give us some time. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm working on it. So um, I, uh, I once heard you, you say that um, the planet is not getting any bigger. However, humanity's footprint on the planet is getting bigger. And one of the key ways we leave that footprint is through our footprint. And, you know, since we're steadily marching towards 10 or 11 billion people, could we perhaps just start from the top uh, and share with the listeners 
who perhaps never have even heard about, you know, um, clean meat or cultured meat or uh, mycoproteins. Uh, why is there a need for alternatives to, to animal, animal-based meat like this? Uh, sure. You know, there are lots of people who didn't really think there were, uh, there was a need for an alternative to horses either. Henry Ford famously said that if I had asked the public what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And yet now the thought of using horses to transport us or our goods around is like a joke to us. It was so archaic. It's so obsolete that we would never consider it. And the same is going to be so with using animals for food in that right now, raising all these billions of animals for food and slaughtering them is a leading driver of forestation wildlife extinction, antibiotic resistance, pandemic risk, animal cruelty, and more. It is a system on which we have become dependent, but it is a system upon which we must free ourselves. And when I say free ourselves, I don't mean that everybody's just going to go to enjoying kale salads, though I think that would be a nice thing to do. But what I mean is that people will continue to eat meat in the same way that we continue to transport ourselves without using our legs in the way that we exploited horses, But just like we no longer need horses to transport us, we will not be relying on the slaughter of animals and that we can produce meat with far fewer resources, less land, less water, fewer greenhouse gas emissions, less animal cruelty and more in order to satiate humanity's meat tooth, so to speak, and getting a great bang for our buck by letting our descendants be so glad that they are no longer dependent on animal slaughter in the same way that we are thankful to our ancestors for enabling us to no longer be dependent on the exploitation of horses. Yeah, no, there's definitely a sort of a need for change and innovation in this field. And um, I guess that that's also why, why I really um, think that that you know, meeting meeting you is like for someone who's a nerdy about uh, space exploration, they would probably you know be be pretty psyched up by meeting Neil Armstrong, while uh, you are kind of this uh, disruptor, true disruptor, in in this field. So uh, why don't you tell us a bit about about the the, the Better Meat Co that you have started? Sure. Well, I'm honored. I actually, uh, interestingly, I was at uh, one of our investors' offices recently, and he has like a private collection of space memorabilia, and he has one of Neil Armstrong's gloves that he wore on the moon. And <laughs> cool. so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, it's cool for me to be able to see it, at least this cool glove that, that Neil Armstrong wore on the moon. So uh, I am also one of those nerds who loves uh, the thought of space exploration. And <clears throat> I think about this a lot because if humanity is going to go on cosmic tourist trips, if we're going to be traveling the cosmos, we're not going to be carrying Noah's Ark in tow. We're not going to have cows and chickens and pigs on, on these, uh, on these spaceships. If we want to eat meat, we're going to have to grow it. And that's was the real driver before, uh, behind creating meat without animals is NASA funded more than 20 years ago research into how to grow real meat outside of an animal's body. And they succeeded. They grew goldfish flesh outside of the goldfish's body. It was the first time anybody had actually done this. And that result of that partnership between a couple academics and NASA has helped to spawn a whole new industry now of trying to create meat experiences by growing either animal cells or using microbial fermentation or using plant proteins and not having to exploit animals. 
And so what we at the Better Mico are doing is a special kind of microbial fermentation where it's kind of like if you think about how a cow eats grass and converts that grass into a steak, we aren't using the cow, we are using microscopic fungi. And those little microscopic fungi enjoy dining on potatoes. And unlike a cow who takes more than a year before you of feeding her before you slaughter her, our little microscopic fungi are completely grown up after less than one single day. So think about that. We can go from microscopic to a huge amount of, of uh, meat alternative in less than a day. That's how powerful uh, our production system is and the fermentation technology that we have advanced and patented is. And so that's the real secret of what we're doing here at the Better Meat Co. Harnessing the power of fermentation to create a more sustainable food future so that, Jacob, when you talk about having 10 billion people on the planet, which is 2 billion more than we have right now uh, within just 30 years, we'll be able to sustainably feed them without having to destroy the planet and therefore ourselves in the process. Mm, yeah, that makes makes so much uh, sense. And I, and I guess scaling this up, this solution, would have a tremendous, uh, tremendously positive impact on, on both greenhouse gas emissions, but also our ability, as you said, to rewild the earth. And uh, well, also, I guess uh, I've, I've, when I prepared for this, I, I also listened to you talking about the nutrient uh, nutrient value of this. Um, it's it's sort of uh, pretty pretty good, right? <laughs> it's, I'd say it's better than pretty good. So <laughs> the the what we call mycoprotein that we are making through microbial fermentation here, that product which we call Riza, it has on its own without any supplementation, just on its own, we have more protein than eggs, more iron than beef, more fiber than oats, more potassium than bananas, and it naturally contains vitamin B12, which most plant foods don't. So this is a really fantastic superfood that we can create that is also a whole food. If you look at many of the meat alternatives today, they are generally made from uh, plant protein isolates like soy protein or pea protein or wheat protein. And those are great products. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy those products and it's a great technology. At the same time, it would be better if we could enjoy the meat experience with a whole food rather than having to use an isolate. And that's what we are enabling through the growing of our mycoprotein. We can create the meat experience with whole food, all natural delicious mycoprotein that people can't really tell the difference between it and an animal's flesh. And yet we can do it in a frack with a fraction of the resources that are needed to raise and slaughter animals. It's truly a uh, disruptive solution you're, you're uh, proposing here. And I, I, um, I really uh, love it. You know, once um, <clears throat> or the organizational strategy professor, Roger Martin, I'm not sure if you know about him, but he, read a, he, he wrote a book called uh, The Opposable Mind, which is his term for um, the human, human brain ability to, to hold two conflicting ideas in constructive tension. So like mm. Ikea, uh, you know, they produce and sell big ass furniture, but at the same time, with very small logistics and warehouse costs to make it affordable for the many people. And yeah. uh, that's that's how they came came up with that, uh, with the idea that was pretty unique at the time to make flat packages. And in my mind, uh, at least the Better Meat Co. is another perfect example of this with uh, where you want to create a world in which omnivorous people can still eat an, an abundance of meat and without the uh, all the negative impact on environment, public health, and animal welfare. So um, 
Could you share a bit of how you personally got to the point where you, you felt like this is the thing I'm going to do. This is my contribution to the world. Yeah. So first uh, I'm flattered that you would compare us to Ikea. They are slightly more successful than we are, but maybe one day we'll see. Don't be as big. (laughs) (laughs) uh, My goal is not necessarily uh, whether we are big or not, although we do need to be big in order to make the dent that we want. The success of our company is not really based on how much money we've raised from investors or what our valuation is. The success of our company is how much can we reduce the need to use animals for food? That's the goal. And that's been a driving passion for my entire life. Ever since I was a child, I have had a deep passion and love for animals and an aversion to hurting them. And when I learned about what happens inside of slaughterhouses and on factory farms, I became very fixated on how to solve this problem. I used to believe when I was much younger that merely telling people about the cruelty that animals endure in the food industry would be sufficient to persuade them to change their ways. Of course, that's not really how things work. People rarely change their mind based on facts or evidence. We change our mind for far more complex reasons often that have to do with uh, how things make us feel or how they uh, make us feel as part of a group and feeling a belonging of a group and so on. And it just became clear to me over time that it's good to raise awareness about animal welfare issues. That's all great. I'm all for passing laws relating to the issue and so on. But we need technology to render animal exploitation obsolete. In the same way that nobody stopped exploiting horses because they cared about horses, they stopped because cars were invented. In the same way that nobody stopped whaling because they cared about whales, they stopped because kerosene was invented and we no longer needed whale oil to light our homes. Nobody stopped using quill pens because we cared about geese. We stopped because metal fountain pens were invented. And the list goes on and on and on. And that is many years ago, what I decided was I thought the most compelling way to try to help prevent the horrible animal abuse that occurs in the food industry. And so I wrote a book on the topic. The book is called Clean Meat, How Growing Meat Without Animals Will Revolutionize Dinner in the World. And in that book, I explore and chronicle the race between the investors, the entrepreneurs, and the scientists who are all competing to bring the world's first slaughter-free meat to the global dinner plate. And when that book was published, which was now a few years ago, it uh, did better than I had expected. I didn't really have many expectations, but I was very pleased by how it did. And I had a choice at the end of that book tour to either continue writing about the people who I thought would ultimately save the world or to become one of them myself. And I chose the latter. And that's why I started the Better Meat Co. And that's why for the last three and a half years, I have uh, been running it. You know, starting and running a company is a very difficult thing to do. It takes a lot of uh, a lot of energy, a lot of time, you need a lot of money to do it. And there's a saying uh, by Ben Horowitz who says that, starting your own company will make you sleep like a baby because you will wake up every two hours and cry. And there are definitely times that, you know, when I feel like that, but it is all worth it when I consider the impact that we could have. If our our technology actually scales up and we build fermenters the size of office buildings, we could have a river of our mycoprotein flowing through the food industry, reducing suffering, reducing emissions, and hopefully changing the way that the planet looks from space. Right now, animal agriculture is the leading driver of deforestation. If we could reduce the number of animals who are being raised for food by billions, 
we could reforest a large portion of the planet because we would not need so much space for grazing and for crop growing. And so if we are successful, and we're not the only company in the space, obviously there are others too, but if we as a movement, as a sector are, are successful, the earth will look greener from space than it does today. And that is sufficient to get me out of bed and get me working hard to try to upscale our technology and bring it to the global food industry. That's that's really cool. Reading reading your book, I, I do have it here. Uh, hey, very nice, very um, nice, cool. You have you're some. A, a very, you're a very good reader. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I you, you have some of these mind blowing data points that, for example, you know, you, every time you buy a gallon of cow's milk, that one gallon have required nine hundred gallons of, of water to produce, and which is equivalent to a few hot tubs, and and one egg requires like fifty gallons of water. So. Even though yeah. we, we know all about this, what are your thoughts on why like no one seems to, to dare to touch the subject of food? Yeah, it's such a great question, Jacob. It's like a third rail issue for people because it, it's very easy to point our fingers outward and say, ah, it's you bad oil company or coal company. You are the bad guys. It's much harder to point our finger inward and say, actually, I think I am part of the problem and I need to change. We have been eating meat from animals for a very long time, and it's a very ingrained behavior. People are quite happy to have solar energy if the light still turns on when they flick a light switch. You know, when you pick, when you turn on a light, you don't care whether it's coming from coal or wind or oil or uh, solar. Like You just want light. And I believe that eventually the same will be true with meat, that people really want meat, just like we really want energy to light our homes and businesses and so on. But we can do it without animals. So we can create a meat experience that doesn't necessitate animals, just like we can create light experiences without fossil fuels. And so to answer your question directly, Jacob, I just think it's hard for people to get through the cognitive dissonance that is associated with saying I'm part of the problem. And it's not a, to say there's judgment associated with it. It's just to say that each of us can make the world a better place simply by enjoying a more plant-based meal, a more plant-based diet, for example. Uh, there is a way that we can do this. However, so far, the world has not shown a great eagerness to reduce its meat consumption. Meat demand is going up, not down. It's going up in China, it's going up in India, it's going up in Brazil, even in the United States, it's still going up. And we are one of the top meat consumers on the planet. And even we in the US, it's still going up. It's unbelievable. People seem to be eager to eat about as much meat as they can afford. The only times when meat demand has really gone down, at least in the United States, are during periods of economic recession. And so this is just a really ingrained habit. People really want to do it. And you could try to persuade people not to which is a very difficult task. Trust me, I've tried. Or you can, or I'd say, and or, you can simply say, yes, enjoy all the meat you want. Just leave the animals out of it. And so that is what I think the future is. I could see a bumper sticker in the future, for example, that says something like, eat meat, not animals. And I would love that. Uh, I would love to see that bumper sticker that says, eat meat, not animals. So if somebody out there is listening and wants to make it, go ahead, get that, get that out there. But anyway, uh, that's why I think it's just really hard because there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. People want to do it. They're ingrained to seemingly want it. 
even indigenous people who have a very plant-based diet, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes still really, really crave meat. And, uh, you know, you look at these uh, anthropological studies of indigenous people and they report that many times if they don't eat meat for a few days, they get very sad because they want that meat. And I don't like it. I don't, I, I don't like that humans evolved eating meat for such a long time. I wish it wasn't so, but we have to play the cards as they are dealt. And the cards that we've dealt are that humans want to do this. And we have to accommodate that in a way that does not cause so much suffering and degradation to the planet. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think one of, one of the ways I, I used to think about this is that, so every time I talk to someone about this, they, they, uh, and I, I'm, you know, surrounded by people in the, in the Western world and, and they tend <clears> to say, but it's, you know, the consumption is growing somewhere else. Uh, we're we're <laughs> too, too many people at, at this earth. And, and while that is true, it's also true that we're like, we have extreme habits. Like we, we, yeah. we, shouldn't, we shouldn't have those extreme habits uh, as at least that's what I think. So there's, yeah, it's yeah. Easy well, fingers, right? That's right. It's so easy to say, Hey, China's meat consumption is going way up. That's the problem. They have too many people and too much consumption. However, I'd point out that in Europe and in the United States on a per person basis, we eat way more meat than the Chinese do. In fact, in the U.S., we eat about twice as much meat per capita as the Chinese do. And so, yes, it's true. There are a lot more Chinese than there are Americans. Yes, it's true that Chinese meat consumption and population is rising faster than it is in America. But still, we are setting an awfully bad example by having uh, the 330 Americans who are out here eating so much meat. We should set a better example. It should set an example and lead. And ironically, just in the way that China has led the world in things like solar panels and lithium ion batteries, I am concerned that in the future, China may be leading on animal free meat technology as well. It's one thing for us to continue to be reliant on China for solar panels and lithium ion batteries in the way that we currently are. It's another thing if they are dominating the future of meat and we are dependent on China for meat. So I am uh, extremely impressed by what China is doing by leading on this issue. And I think the US and Europe should take note of what they're doing and make really big public investments in the animal-free meat technology to help us to secure the future of food and keep it domestically produced. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's pretty clear that I, so, so kind of two years ago, I went through uh, what I'm usually referring to as the biggest uh, life transformation of my life, which was to ditch meat. And wow. so you, you've been in this space much, much longer than, than I have, because I think you've been vegan since like you were like 14, if I did my background check, correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while ago. I, I became vegan in 93 and I, I haven't stopped. I haven't stopped. So I, I feel pretty good. It's been like 28 years or so and I'm still living, you know, much to the surprise of many people back then who, who thought that they, they must have thought like being vegan, I think is like holding your breath. Like you can do it for some time. You hold your breath for some time, but if you do it too long, you'll die, right? And I think that that was like the same thing that people thought, well, maybe you can go without animal products for some amount of time, but if you do it too long, you'll die. Uh, so apparently 28 years is not the, it's not the shelf life. So it must be longer than that. I, when I die, maybe they'll say, 
aha, we finally found the amount of time that it takes to kill somebody. But no, I feel good. I, I feel honestly, um, I'm 42 years old and I just ran a six minute mile two days ago. Uh, so I feel like that. Uh, my guess is that there's not many 42 year old, at least 42 year old American men who are running a six minute mile. So I feel pretty good. And um, I don't know how much of that is attributable to a few decades of plant-based eating, but I don't think it's insignificant. I think that my health is dramatically better because of it. Yeah. I, uh, I do some running myself, uh, trail running, and I, I can tell you cool. that I, before going plant-based, I had this uh, runner's knee, which you might know about. It took mm -hmm. me 11 months to, to recover from it. Wow. After having gone uh, plant-based, it took me two and a half months. So um, wow, wow, I, I'm wow. not sure if that's, you know, that's might be totally anecdotal, but, um, but anyway, there's, there seems to well, be something in it. Yeah. I mean, by the very nature of the story, it's anecdotal, but there is also evidence to suggest that a whole foods plant-based diet does help you uh, with faster recovery times from injuries and just in between regular workouts. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a big believer that a whole foods plant-based diet, one that is rich in antioxidants and fiber and more can really help you to recover from injury faster. And as an athlete myself, I feel like I've benefited from this. And I remember when Carl Lewis was on top of the world, he was the Olympian sprinter and long jumper who back in the nineties was like, kind of like the Usain Bolt of that area. And he was like the top athlete. And he said that his best Olympic years where he won the most gold medals were when he was vegan and he's still vegan to this day. So I am very convinced that contrary to what some people when I became vegan thought, which is that you're going to have real health consequences that'll be negative. I actually think that a, a well-planned whole foods plant-based diet almost certainly gives you a lot of health and athletic advantages. And I've benefited from it myself for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm super interested in, in behavior design and, and how you could potentially help people to, to kind of realize that, we we as humanity should change and that probably starts with with you and what i've just realized is food is so emotionally that's it's it's you're so emotionally attached to what you've been eating for all your life you have its culture its upbringing its its uh, identity um I, I guess it would be so much easier to go into solar putting solar panels in on, on your roof or buy an ev <laughs> food yeah. is really a, a tough path to 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 go into yeah that's for sure. And that's really for sure. I'll tell you, I, I, my wife and I actually did put solar panels on our house recently. And I, it was, I marveled at how pain-free it was. It was like, it took very little time. Economically, it was a good decision for us. But one of the reasons it was a good decision is because our government gives us a pretty major tax rebate for doing it. Hmm. And that is when you're talking about just like system design, that's the type of thing that we need on alternative meats. In order for alternative meats to become no longer alternative, it has to be easy for people to switch to them. And that means that it needs to be less expensive than meat. It needs to taste better than meat. And of course, um, it needs to be as convenient as meat. And so that means that probably you're going to need some type of uh, tax to internalize the cost of meat production. Right now, most meat production costs are externalized. So you know, the animal cruelty, nobody's paying a financial price for that. 
environmental degradation. Oftentimes the air and the water and the soil pollution are not paid for by the polluter. And so if you end up either internalizing those costs, either through stricter regulation or simply through tax, then you can start to level the playing field a little bit more here and help to switch to a food system that is less reliant on the exploitation of animals. And that will be better for humanity and the rest of the planet moving forward. Yeah. Leading us into the, the, the very hot topic of uh, COP26 in, in Glasgow, which yeah. is about to wrap up in, in you know, one day or so. And it doesn't seem like they will reach the, the agreement that they, we, we want them to, to do. But um, if, if you could write a, uh, like a wish list that would uh, help you scale the, the solutions you're working on and so forth, what, what would like the one or two or three things be? Okay, first, stop subsidizing animal agriculture. Second, start subsidizing animal-free ag technologies from microbial fermentation to cellular agriculture to plant-based meat and so on. Those should be enjoying government support, both at the academic and at the commercial R&D level. So startups and other companies uh, working in this space should be receiving government support to help scale their technologies. That's what China has done. And that's what we need to do as well. So I think there's lots of other things that I would recommend from a fossil fuel perspective. But as far as this issue is concerned, again, stop subsidizing animal agriculture and start subsidizing animal free food technologies. Yeah. And there seems to be a pretty clear link as well to to pandemics. Right. So it's pretty astonishing, at least in my mind, that just after COVID-19 has passed and you have this big summit, uh, food is not even on the agenda. Uh, shameful yeah what will if not even COVID-19 makes humanity stop and reflect about our behavior what do you think we'll do yeah I've actually thought about this a lot because I would have thought that a pandemic would unite people we have a common enemy that we are fighting against and I thought in the same way that people say an alien invasion would unite the countries of earth together uh, I thought maybe a pandemic actually would unite people uh, how sorely wrong I was uh, you know it divided us more than ever and so it doesn't, knowing that it now doesn't surprise me that we're not really taking any lessons. I mean, if anything, the only lesson that people are learning is they're trying to prepare for the next pandemic. They're not trying to prevent the next pandemic. They're trying to prepare for it by saying, oh, we should have more masks. We should have more ventilators. And I am not against pandemic preparedness, obviously, but we should also be looking at pandemic prevention. And pandemic prevention is something the UN put out a report about recently. And they looked at the top reasons why we might have another pandemic. Number one, in, uh, increased animal protein demand. Number two, intensification of agriculture. So confining animals in more and more tight spaces. And then three is the bushmeat trade. So that's like killing wildlife for their meat. So the, tops one, the top one, two, and three reasons the United Nations says we are likely to have another pandemic all relate to humanity's desire to eat meat. And yet, what are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> Nothing. It's a it's a great example of just how how the cognitive dissonance associated with this issue prevents us from acting logically and even in our own best interests. Yeah, it's it's just so mind-blowingly stupid. But um yeah. Yeah. This is a, uh, it's a never ending story, Paul, we could go on forever. Um, uh, in respect of your time, I would just like to say uh, thank you so much for uh, joining the, uh, the podcast and um, also encourage people, listeners, to, to um, listen to your own podcast, Business for Good. 
Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, well, congratulations on your podcast. I look forward to it becoming a major success and to seeing Replanet overtake Plant Proof on the, uh, on the charts there. And it's a real pleasure to chat with you. Anybody who would like to get in touch with me, you can just visit bettermeat.co. Again, that's bettermeat.co. I welcome hearing from you. And if you're interested in reading my book, Clean Meat, you can buy it anywhere books are sold. But the book's official website is cleanmeat.com. Again, that is cleanmeat.com. Amazing. So um, have a great day, Paul, and uh, yeah. do some good. <laughs> All right. Well, here's a fist bump coming to you, Jacob, from California to Sweden. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much, man. <laughs>